ابن عباس ها مجتمع هذا إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Today then we're on the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma Qala al-imam al-Bukhari rahimahullahu ta'ala Haddathani Thabit ibn Muhammad Qala haddathana Sufyan An ibn Jurayj An Sulaiman al-Ahwal An Tawus An ibn Abbas Radiyallahu anhuma Qal Kana al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Iza tahajjada min al-layli Qal اللهم ربنا لك الحمد أنت قيم السماوات والأرض ولك الحمد أنت رب السماوات والأرض ومن فيهن ولك الحمد أنت نور السماوات والأرض ومن فيهن أنت الحق وقولك الحق ووعدك الحق ولقاؤك الحق والجنة حق والنار حق والساعة حق اللهم لك أسلمت وبك آمنت وعليك توكلت وإليك خاصمت وبك حاكمت فاغفر لي ما قدمت وما أخرت وأسررت وأعلنت وما أنت أعلم به مني لا إله إلا أنت قال أبو عبد الله قال قيس بن سعد وأبو الزبير عن طاووس قيام وقال مجاهد القيوم القائم على كل شيء وقرأ عمر القيام who has the English workbook? Nobody? Yeah. Send that for a second. So this is the dua that's mentioned in this particular hadith that when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to pray the night prayer, he would say, O oh Allah, our Lord, all the praises are for you. You are the keeper, the establisher, the one who looks after the heavens and the earth. All the praises are for you. You are the light of the heavens and the earth and whatever is therein. You are the truth and your saying is the truth and your promise is the truth and the meeting with you is the truth and paradise is the truth and hellfire is the truth. O oh Allah, I surrender myself to you and believe in you and I put my trust in you 
solely depend upon you. And to you I complain of my opponents, and with your evidence I argue. So please forgive the sins which I have done in the past, or I will do in the future, and also those sins which I did in secret or in public, and that which you know better than I. None has the right to be worshipped but you. So in this narration then, you see in the dua that the Prophet ﷺ used to read when he would pray the night prayer. There is a small difference in the wording Qayyimu samawat and Qayyamu samawat but both of them as it mentions are words of praise Al-Qayyum itself like for example Allahu la ilaha illa huwa Al-Hayyul Qayyum So what does it mean? He is Al-Hayyul Qayyum Everybody knows Ayatul Kursi Everybody has memorized it The very opening of it Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum So what does al-qayyum mean? Al-qayyum Or do none of us know the meaning of ayatul kursi? He preserves everything Anything else? Al-Qayyum, what was the word they gave? At the beginning? Qayyum in English, what did they give? The keeper. The keeper, the one who looks after. Al-Qayyum, okay, linguistically, the one who looks after, the one who is the keeper, the one who uh, takes care of the affairs of such and such. The Qayyum, the one who suffices others. Allah is Al-Qayyum, meaning He is the one who preserves us, suffices us, looks after us, controls us. He is Al-Qayyum upon us. But on top of that, it has a second, second meaning too, which is that Allah is Al-Qayyum, in of himself also that he does not require anyone to be a qayyum for him he does not require anybody to look after his affairs he does not require anybody to give any assistance or to preserve or to sustain anything he does not require anything from anyone but he is the one who provides for everyone. That is Al-Qayyum. Meaning he is self-sufficient, not in need of anything or anyone. And he is the one who provides others sufficiency. He suffices us. So two meanings to it. Allah is self-sufficient, not in need of anyone. 
On the other side, He is the one who provides sufficiency to creation. We are in need of Him. So that is Al-Qayyum and that is generally the meaning mentioned here too. Al-Qayyum, huwa al-lazhi qama bi nafsihi, there you go, wa qama ala ghayrihi. He is the one who suffices himself and suffices others too. He is not in need of anyone to suffice him or to give him or to aid him in anything. He is self-sufficient. But he suffices others also. Oh Allah Ta'ala, أَفَمَنْ هُوَ قَائِمٌ عَلَى كُلِّ نَفْسٍ بِمَا كَسَبَتْ that he is the one who suffices every soul in what they earn. He is the one who does that. يعني كمن لا يملك ذلك Meaning, is somebody who is self-sufficient and provides for others. Is somebody else equal to that person or to that one? Is somebody else who cannot be self-sufficient and cannot provide for others be equal to somebody who is self-sufficient and does provide for others? Then of course not. وَقَدْ سَبَقَ الْكَلَامُ عَلَى بَقِيَّةِ الْحَدِيثِ وَبَيَّنَّا أَنَّ الرَّسُولَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ كَانَ يَقُولُ ذَلِكَ فِي تَهَجُّدِهِ وَأَنَّهُ يَحْتَمِلُ أَنْ يَكُونَ فِي السُّجُودِ أَوْ بَعْدَ التَّشَهُّدِ الْأَخِيرِ أَوْ فِي حَالِ الْقِيَامِ بَعْدَ الرُّكُوعِ وَكُلُّ هَذَا مَوْضِعُ الدُّعَاءِ So, the rest of the narration is a dua that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to make when he prayed the night prayer. When exactly during the night prayer would he make this dua? When in the night prayer exactly? So here as Shaykh Al-Thaymin mentions, maybe he used to make this dua in the night prayer in the prostration. When he was in the prostration in the night prayer, or maybe at the end, after you've done the tashahud and everything, before you give salam, that last moment in the prayer, you would read this dua. Or maybe after coming out of the ruku' before going down to the sujood, in that standing position, maybe then, all of those times are times of dua. In the sujood, a time of dua. In the last tashahud before the salam, a time of dua. Coming out of ruku'ah before going into sujood, a time of dua. So it's possible that he read this dua in any one of those times. There's a few side points the Sheikh mentions here, a few side points. One of those side points here is when we talked about the Day of Judgment and the intercession that occurs and the fact that it's mentioned in some of these du'as, one of the points about the Day of Judgment is the bridge, as-sirat, or you can actually call it linguistically in Arabic, Azirat, or you can call it in the Arabic language linguistically also Asirat, Sin Sad Zai. 
So that bridge, which we know about in the descriptions of it in the Sunnah, thinner than a hair, sharper than a sword, claws upon it, slippery, dark when you cross, that bridge is placed over what? The hellfire. That is a bridge over the hellfire. And that is the bridge that everybody must cross over. Why is that bridge placed over the hellfire? As Sheikh al says, why was the bridge placed over the hellfire? He says the answer, يُوضَعُ عَلَى جَهَنَّمْ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ يَعْبُرَهُ النَّاسِ وَهُمْ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَى جَهَنَّمْ It's been placed on top of the fire because then when people cross over it, obviously they will see the fire. They're crossing over the bridge, they will see the hell fire. So what's the purpose of that? يَزْدَادُونَ شُكْرًا لِلَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ أَنْ أَنْجَاهُمْ مِنْ هَذِهِ النَّارِ الْعَظِيمَةِ They will increase in their gratitude and their thankfulness to Allah that Allah saved them from that fire. The fact that they see it and they see their salvation from it then they will increase even more in their gratitude and their thankfulness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having saved them from that fire, physically experiencing their salvation and not falling into it. So that will increase them in their gratitude and thankfulness to Allah. يَمُرُّونَ عَلَيْهِ وَهُمْ خَائِفُونَ وَجِلُونَ They will cross over it and they are in fear, trembling. يَمُرُّونَ عَلَيْهِ عَلَى طُرُقٍ مُتَعَدِّدَةٍ They will cross over it in different ways. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَمُرُّوا كَلَمْحِ الْبَصَرِ Some of them cross over like as you say in the blink of an eye. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَمُرُّوا كَالْرِيحِ Some of them cross over like the speed of the wind. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ يَمُرُّكَ أَجَاوِيدِ الْخَيْلِ And others they cross over at the speed of running horses. حَسَبْ أَعْمَالِهِمْ In accordance to the level of their deeds. In accordance to the level of their deeds, they will cross over. Accordingly, the more their deeds, the easier and quicker they cross over. The less their good deeds the harder to cross over. What else did we mention about the bridge when we studied it? They will cross over at different speeds. Some of them like the blink of an eye. Some of them much slower. The last person will be crawling across, dragging himself across. But what else did we mention about the situation regarding the bridge? Something else that will differ in levels depending on your deeds. The height. The, oh, the light, aha. Uh -huh. The light. The light, absolutely. So it's mentioned about some people, they will have light the size of Mount Uhud. Everything they can see and cross with ease. 
and the lowest person he will have light like the example of his toe tiny light flickers on and off when it flickers on he can see and proceed and walk when it flickers off he must stand still all of that in accordance to the level of the deeds then after that Imam al-Bukhari says قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يُوسُفُ بْنُ مُوسَى قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ أُسَامَةَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِي الْأَعْمَشَ عَنْ خَيْثَمَةَ عَنْ عَدِي بْنِ حَاتِمْ قَالَ قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم ما منكم من أحد إلا سيكلمه ربه ليس بينه وبينه ترجمان ولا حجاب يحجبه That there is not a single one from amongst you except that his Lord will speak to him and there will not be between him and him meaning between this person and his Lord any interpreter and neither will there be any veil covering him the point here is wala hijabun yahjubu that there will be no veil concealing him wawajhuhu and the point of that is anna allah yuhdithu alqawla fi tilka as-sa'ah يكلم هذا الذي خلا به في تلك الساعة والقائلون بالكلام النفسي يقولون الكلام النفسي هو أزلي ولكن الله تعالى يخلق أصواتا في الوقت الذي يريد أن يسمع من من شاء يعبر عن الكلام النفسي so the point of the narration is the fact that Allah will not be concealed from them so they will see Allah. Then a side point here also, there is a refutation upon those who reject the attribute of speech from Allah. And they say that the speech of Allah is just an internal everlasting speech, an internal speech that occurred and it is not something that occurs in instances whereas this narration highlights to us quite clearly on that instance on the day of judgment Allah speaks to the people just like on the instance of the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj Allah spoke to Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam just like on the instance with Musa Salam, Allah spoke to Musa alayhi salam which one the dua so in the previous narration where it was about the dua this whole chapter is about what got to remember what the chapter is about to find the shahid about seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so in that previous narration about the dua 
that the Prophet ﷺ used to make in the Tahajjud. Where is the Shahid? Allahumma Rabbana laka alhamd, anta qayyim al-samawati wal-ard, wa laka alhamd, anta rabbu al-samawati wal-ard, wa man fihinna, wa laka alhamd, anta nur al-samawati wal-ard, wa man fihinna, anta al-haq, wa qawluka al-haq, wa wa'aduka al-haq, wa liqa'uka al-haq, wa al-jannatu haq, wa al-naru haq, wa sa'a haq, and then he carries on. The point of it would be that section where it says, وَلِقَاءُكَ الْحَقِّ Meeting you is truth. Meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on that day, then that is an indication along with the rest of the evidences of seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings us to the relevant point in this narration. Also, the fact that Allah will speak to every person and there will be no interpreter in between and no veil concealing in between. Then this meeting that occurs with Allah, we said there are two types of meetings. There is a general meeting and a specific meeting. The general meeting, Ya ayyuhal insanu innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan famulaqih. That you will be meeting him. General meeting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But then there is a specific meeting. وَاللِّقَاءُ الْخَاصِ لَا لِقَاءَ إِلَّا بِرُؤْيَةِ وَاللِّقَاءُ الْخَاصِ لَيْسَ لِلْكُفَّارِ The specific meeting of Allah is the one that occurs when you actually also see Allah. So that specific type of meeting does not occur for the kuffar. We said before, though some scholars say the kuffar will see Allah on that day. But what will be the difference for the kuffar, for the scholars who say that they will see him on the plains of resurrection? For them it will be a sight of terror. That their Lord will now judge them and their accountability will occur. It will be a sight of terror, not a sight of pleasure and blessing. Whereas for the believers it will be a sight of blessing. So a huge difference. If we say upon the opinion the kuffar will see Allah, it will be upon absolute terror for them. But here as you see the scholars, many of them mention the kuffar will not see Allah anyway. They will be completely concealed as the ayah mentioned we quoted before in the previous lessons, which is, Kalla innahum. That they will be concealed from seeing their Lord. So the specific meeting of Allah would be the meeting of Allah where Allah is seen. And so that will be for the believers and the general meeting for all of them. After that, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَلِي بْنُ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الْعَزِيزِ بْنُ عَبْدِ الصَّمَدِ عَنْ أَبِي عِمْرَانِ عن أبي بكر بن عبد الله بن قيس عن أبيه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال 
Cennetani min fıddatin aniyetuhuma ve ma fihima ve cennetani min zehebin aniyetuhuma ve ma fihima ve ma beynel kavmi ve beyne en yanzuru ila rabbihim illa rida'ul kibr ala vajhihi fi cenneti adn it mentions here two paradises wherein the utensils are of silver and what is in it and two wherein the utensils are of gold and that which is in it and between the people and this is the point of the narration between the people and seeing Allah is the Rida'ul Kibr the Rida'ul Kibr and in the other narration, Rida'ul Kibriya upon his face in Jannatu Adl. When Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yasifu Allah azza wa jal ba'da izalati Rida'ul Kibr wa ka'anna al-Bukhariya rahimahullah yushiru ila wasfin akhar asrah min hadha amma hadha falaysa sarihan fi ithbati al-ru'ya وَسَنَتَنَاوَلُ الشَّرْحُ فِي هَذَا The Shaykh said we'll give the explanation of that now here regarding this narration about the people seeing Allah and there is nothing between them and seeing Allah except this veil of the kibriya of the greatness the greatness of Allah it is mentioned in the narration or in the uh, statement of Al-Hafid ibn Hajar So Al-Hafid ibn Hajar Al-Hafid ibn Hajar he mentions وَمَا بَيْنَ الْقَوْمِ وَبَيْنَ أَنْ يَنْظُرُوا إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ إِلَّا رِدَاءَ الْكِبْرِيَاءِ عَلَىٰ وَجْهِهِ قال المازري كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يخاطب العرب بما تفهم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he used to speak to the Arabs with what they understand he used to address them with what they understand That the Prophet وسلم, used to address the Arabs with what they understand. And that the Prophet وسلم, used to give them abstract ideas in physical forms so they could understand. Give them physical real examples that they could then understand the idea. فعبر عن زوال الموانع ورفعه عن الأبصار بذلك and so the Prophet expressed the removal of any preventative factors from seeing Allah and the raising of the eyesight with this example رداء الكبرياء وقال عياض 
كانت العرب تستعمل الاستعارة كثيرا but the Arabs they used to use similes and metaphors a lot وهو أرفع أدوات بديع فصاحته وإيجازها and that is from the highest levels of being able to explain something in eloquence in the form of eloquence so for example the statement in the Quran جناح الظل جناح الظل when it mentions lower the winds of humility to your parents the winds of humility that is an example given to indicate and it is understood to be humble and modest with your parents to be uh, to show humility and humbleness and modesty and to listen to your parents an example given the wings of humility فمخاطبه النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فمن أجر الكلام على ظاهره أفضى به الأمر إلى التجسيم ومن لم يتضح له وعلم أن الله منزه عن الذي يقتضيه ظاهرها إما أن يكذب نقلتها وإما أن يؤولها كأن يقول استعار بعظيم سلطان الله وكبريائه وعظمته وهيبته وجلاله المانع إدراك أبصار البشر مع ضعفها لذلك رداء الكبرياء فإذا شاء تقوية أبصارهم وقلوبهم كشف عنهم حجاب عيبته وموانع عظمته All of these are explanations highlighting what the meaning of Rida al-Kibriya is What's the English they give for it? The veil or the The cover of majesty over his face The veil of majesty over his face that there is nothing covering or nothing standing between them and seeing Allah except that Allah removes the veil of majesty that is an example that the Prophet ﷺ gave them to remove that veil of majesty so that veil of majesty is what's standing in the way of the vision occurring فكأن في الكلام حذفا تقديره بعد قوله إلا رداء الكبرياء فإنه يمن عليهم برفعه So then Allah removes the veil of majesty in order to give them that blessing of being able to see him and that is the greatest of the blessing for them and that is mentioned in the various ayat we spoke about before لِلَّذِينَ أَحْسَنُ الْحُسْنَى وَزِيَادَةً ما يدل على أن المراد برداء الكبرياء في حديث أبي موسى الحجاب مذكور في حديث زعيب So now we have some narrations that talk about the veil of Allah and in this narration the veil of majesty so that would seem to be the same idea being mentioned in these various narrations of this veil that Allah then removes and the blessing is bestowed upon the people that they are then able to see and there's this narration uh, mentioned in Muslim that the Prophet ﷺ said إِذَا دَخَلَ أَهْلُ الْجَنَّةِ الْجَنَّةِ when the people of paradise enter paradise 
Allah says to them do you want anything for me to increase you with anything more so they say have you not whitened and lightened our faces have you not entered us into paradise? Have you not saved us from the fire? Meaning you've done all of this for us already. What more could there be? You have enlightened, whitened our faces, entered us into paradise, saved us from the fire. What more could we desire? What more could we desire? So then, he then removes that veil So when that veil is removed Then they have not been given anything more beloved to them Than seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala But as we've explained before Seeing Allah does not mean that our eyesight we can fully comprehend and understand the might and majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but we will be given the blessing of seeing Allah even if we in our ability do not have that ability to fully comprehend and understand everything we see of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Uh, the only other point the Shaykh mentions here uh, as a side point is regarding the different paradises, the different levels of the paradise. And we know that there are overall how many levels of paradise? Overall in the narrations it talks about the seven levels of paradise. On the night of Al-Isra Al-Mi'raj it talks about the Prophet going through those seven levels of paradise with Ibrahim salam in the seventh, Musa salam in the sixth, etc. And similarly, just like there are seven levels of paradise going up, there are seven pits, as the scholars say. Not seven levels now, seven pits to indicate the fact that pits always go deeper and deeper, not higher and higher. So seven pits of the hellfire going deeper and deeper. So he mentions the point about some of the paradise having the utensils of gold and some of them the utensils of silver, etc. And the different levels of them. Then he also mentions in the statement, مَا مِنْكُمْ مِنْ أَحَدٍ إِلَّا سَيُكَلِّمُهُ رَبُّهُ That there is not a single one of you except that Allah will speak to him. So does that mean everyone, there's not a single one from amongst you except Allah will speak to you? Every single one then? Mu'minun and munafiqoon. The disbelievers, the kuffar, the munafiqoon as well? The answer, that this is only for the believers. Not a single one of you from the believers. وَالدَّلِيلُ عَلَى هَذَا أَنَّ اللَّهَ إِذَا أَقَرَّهُ بِذُنُوبِهِ 
قال قد سترتها عليك في الدنيا وانا اغفرها لك اليوم because Allah says to the person as it's mentioned when that person acknowledges his sins admits his sins Allah says to him I concealed your sins in the world and I forgive them for you on this day obviously that can only be for believers non-believers are not going to be forgiven for their sins on that day and entered into paradise so if that's being said to them it must be that Allah is only speaking to the believers so what is apparent is that the munafiqoon do not enter into this وَأَنَّهُ يُذْهَبُ بِهِ إِلَى النَّارِ بَعْدَ أَنْ يَمْتَنِعْ عَنِ السُّجُودِ وَيَعْجِزْ عَنِ السُّجُودِ إِذَا كَشَفَ الرَّبُّ عَزَّ وَجَسَاقَةِ We know that Allah comes to them and reveals His shin to them and everybody falls into prostration but the munafiqoon are unable to prostrate on that day to Allah their backbones become a solid unit whereby they cannot bend down so those munafiqoon have become apparent already and they will be taken to hellfire then it is the believers whom Allah speaks to will everybody have these two paradises a garden of uh, utensils of gold and one of silver not everybody not necessarily it is in accordance to the level of the deeds so for those with the gold, they are the highest levels and the greatest level of reward. And then there are those with the, power, with the silver, uh, which is le lesser and lower. Also, would it mean that no matter what level you are in paradise, everybody is equal in terms of being able to see Allah? لا يدل على هذا لأن مطلق الرؤية غير الرؤية المطلقة. The Shaykh says it doesn't indicate that everybody will be equal in terms of seeing Allah. There are different types of see or different levels of seeing Allah, amounts of seeing Allah. It's not one generalized thing. So yes, everybody sees Allah. All of the people of paradise see Allah. But their individual seeing of Allah may be different at the different levels of paradise. It does not necessitate they are all equal in that. What necessitates, what is necessitated is that they will all see Allah. But how and where that, that may differ in the different levels of paradise. That will be the last hadith today. Next week, insha'Allah, we're going to finish off the chapter regarding seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then after that, we're going to move on to a new section that talks about the mercy of Allah, talks about the muhsinun and the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is what we'll carry on with. From next week, insha'Allah ta'ala, finish off the chapter on seeing Allah. And now we've established and it should be understood very clearly. The aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah regarding seeing Allah. So what is the aqeedah of Ahlul Sunnah regarding seeing Allah?
We cannot see Allah in this world, but we will see Allah in the hereafter. That is the basic aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah. Now we've gone through several proofs. So perhaps next week when we get to the end of the chapter, we can ask everybody a small Q&A session. And everybody can explain the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah regarding seeing Allah and the evidences and the proofs for this particular topic. There you go. Affirmation that there will be a Q&A next week. <laughs> Affirmation that there will be a test next week. It has been said now by the recorder, even though the recorder has no intention, and therefore anything which is done through a recorder is not considered an act of worship, but it can be considered as evidence for our case. So next week will be a Q&A at the end of the class. Q&A in a different format. I'll be the one asking the questions. Everybody else will be giving the answers. Regarding the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah in seeing Allah. And the evidences for it. So this chapter now, we've been doing it for maybe four sessions, five sessions. Gone through the ahadith. So this section on seeing Allah, revise that carefully. We'll finish it off next week and then we'll have a small revision at the end to round it off before moving on to the next chapter after that, inshaAllah. Anything now to add before we round off? It would appear that with the bridge and the more good deeds, it would have to be a relative thing with your bad deeds. Because the, the greater the difference, then on the weighing scale, they are the ones with the greater weight in their good deeds. It's a very simplistic affair, which is highlighted. The more good deeds you have and the less bad deeds you have, the greater the difference between your heavy side of good deeds and your lighter side of bad deeds. But if a person had many, many good deeds, but also many, many bad deeds, his difference may be far less between the good and the bad. So it would appear that this meaning, it would relate to the overall conclusion at the end. Because there are many factors to take into consideration. A person who had many, many good deeds, it could mean that those many, many good deeds wiped out his many, many bad deeds. But it would appear whatever the final balance is, that's what's meant with the person of the greatest deeds. The greatest way difference, the greatest amount at his overall final accountability. That's what it would appear to be. But if anybody wanted more detail on those topics, there are books, theses, written by some of the teachers. There is a three-volume thesis written on the Day of Judgment. Three volumes, each volume bigger than this volume of Bukhari. So each volume would be approximately, this volume is 800 pages. That book is a minimum of 800 pages per volume, more like 1,000 pages per volume. So you have 3,000 pages thesis on the events of the Day of Judgment 
and the details of the Day of Judgment, specifics about when does the weighing scale come, when does the hold, the pond come, and when does the bridge come. Is the pond first or is the bridge first? So some scholars say the pond comes first, some say the bridge comes first, some say the pond comes first and after. How? Because in the descriptions in the Sunnah it mentions the pond is huge, traveling distances of weeks. So they say the pond begins before the bridge and after they cross over the pond is still there finishing off on that side of the bridge. All types of details. But you can go and read those three thousand page theses for the higher level details of those affairs. Anything else? Length again, it's not particularly mentioned about the length. Length is mentioned about the pond of the Prophet the size of that, but it's not mentioned regarding the length of the bridge, in particular any details of its length. Just descriptions of it are mentioned. And the fact that it's over the hellfire may be indicative of its size, possibly. We know the hellfire is something considerable. A rock is thrown into it and it takes 70 years for the rock to carry and fall in before it hits the ground. Angels that are dragging the hellfire on that day. 70,000 ropes or chains on each one. 70,000 angels. So how many is that? 4.9 million. 4.9 million angels to pull it. Uh, so we know that the hellfire is something considerable. So maybe those things indicate to you the size of the bridge, but there's nothing specific that I've ever come across talking about the length of the bridge. Allah alam. that not particularly that is a specific type of speaking that occurs for all of the mu'minun that Allah speaks to all of the mu'minun the disbelievers it is no there are certain times when they are spoken to but it is a speech again of terror for them and reprimand for them but then the scholars say what does it mean that all those narrations those kinds of narrations certain people Allah will not speak to them on that day they say there are because the day of judgment has several different stages there are different stages of the day of judgment the weighing scale the accountability the books being given the bridge the pond various things occur on the day of judgment certain stages of the day of judgment certain states may occur like it mentions about the kuffar being raised up on their heads upside down deaf and dumb but then we know at certain times the kuffar speak how do they speak if they are raised deaf and dumb certain stages of the day of judgment they are upside down on their heads deaf and dumb other stages they are given the ability to talk so it could be the case that at certain stages they have no abilities and they are deaf and dumb etc and at other stages they are given something in other stages in terms of reprimand and they are given uh, the, the uh, rebuke it may not necessitate that they are given all of these things but whatever they are given it is not given as a blessing it is given as a torment upon them as a terror 
terrifying event for them. So there is no blessing for them, whatever from those affairs occurs with the kuffar. And many of those are differed about. Many of those, that's always the topic that's differed about on the events of the Day of Judgment. Will X, Y, and Z happen to the kuffar as well? Almost all of the sections of the Day of Judgment, you always get these issues. Will this happen to the kuffar as well or not? That thing's going to happen on the Day of Judgment? Are the kuffar involved in that as well or not? Because many of the things, the kuffar are not involved. They have their accountability, it's clear they go to hellfire. So many of the things the scholars say doesn't happen to them. This doesn't happen, Allah doesn't speak to them. They are uh, uh, not given the sight of Allah, various things. But again, that is uh, something of more detail. At one time we did do it, a very long time ago. In 2009, we did a series of lectures. It was about nine weeks long, just about the Day of Judgment. It was a nine weeks long course, just going through the Day of Judgment and everything that happens. And inshallah ta'ala, if we want, we can do it again. After we finish this, that kind of topic, people always want to do it. We always want to learn those issues, Iman and the Day of Judgment. Maybe at some point we can do it again. Anything else? We'll round off there then for today. Next week again, straight after Maghrib. Straight after Maghrib, inshallah, about 8 p.m., 5 past 8, 10 past 8. We'll begin the class, inshallah ta'ala.